Hollywood writers are on strike for the first time in 15 years, and today is their third day of striking. Um, they have been in negotiations with studios, streamers, and networks, but these negotiations broke down on Monday when they failed to come to a an agreement, and so they start the strike. Um, so the the people involved, the players involved in this struggle are WGA, the Writers Guild of America, and then also AMPTP, Alliance of Motion Pictures and Television Producers, uh, which includes Netflix, Amazon, Apple, Disney, Discovery, Warner, NBC, Paramount, and Sony. Um, and yeah, so I wanted to just kind of break down what's at stake with this battle, with the struggle. Um, part of the reason why this is going on is because there's been this advent of streaming services that has really upended the whole model for how writers are paid in Hollywood. Um, so all of those traditional models of com compensating writers, those all, all have kind of gone out the window. And now writers in Hollywood are kind of being turned into gig workers who get brought in and work for very short, you know, even like week to week contracts, you know, um, and then they have to negotiate another one. And <laughs> so it's this constant struggle to bring in uh, funds if you're a writer. I was actually uh, talking to my writer friend who has been writing in Hollywood and saying, oh, I would love to get into that kind of work. Maybe that would be where there was more money and I could support myself better. And he was like, do not do it. Don't do it. Because these writers are, you know, a lot of them are between writing gigs. They're making no money. They're going broke. They are struggling to pay rent. They can't buy houses. They can't have kids. All of the things that are like the normal trappings of like a middle class um, life are are very difficult for a lot of the writers um and so they are trying to the writers are trying to focus on some of these bigger picture issues where they are trying to preserve their livelihoods going down the road you know not just right now not just about like are, how much money am i going to get for this one job they're trying to look at the bigger picture picture issues like how do we reconfigure residuals for the, the different things that they've written, um, the money that they keep getting for the shows that they've worked on or the movies. Um, they also are concerned about data transparency issues, um, the elimination of the writer's room and the use of AI in writing scripts. They don't, the writers really don't want AI to be used as source material um, and, or as like, actual script writing <laughs> tools that which would displace them displace their their careers um and it's funny because like they they thought that making that a uh, a request in their negotiations that like we don't want ai to be accepted into this role in, in writing for hollywood um they thought that that was going to be an easy, easy ask that the the studios would completely comply with that. No problem. They actually push back against that very hard. They really, really don't want <laughs> to um, say that, no, we will not use AI. So all of a sudden, these writers who thought that this is not an issue are like, oh, fuck, this is a big, big issue that Surprise. like we need to be. Yeah, totally. <laughs> we need to be focusing on. We'll probably be talking more about that tomorrow, Desmond. So, um, 
but yes, that's that's one big part. And then another big part is, yeah, as, as I mentioned, the elimination of the writer's room. It's just a kind of a mechanism to um, erode the different ways that writers are getting paid. So you would get paid like a producer fee or something if you were in the writing team in the writing room. Uh, but now if you get rid of those rooms, you get rid of some of that pay that you give to writers. So, um, and they're creating these mini rooms that, uh, yeah, it's just basically a, an innovation used to to skirt the what you're owing the writers. So um, these negotiations have kind of not gone anywhere. Uh, the The studios, the streaming services, they are not accepting any of the requests um, of the writers. And so it's kind of come to the standstill and both sides have very different um, narratives about like what things are on the table, what things aren't, what offers they've made and and how people have come back and forth. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of, I'm hoping to speak with some of the folks within the the union to try to, yeah, really see kind of the inside of these debates. But um, but yeah, I, 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 I don't want to go too deeply into that stuff. Um, maybe I'll just open it up here and let, let you guys ask questions or um, yeah, take this in whatever direction. Yeah, I'm going to open up for this one. I, I have a podcast that I watch all the time because I love talking about nerdy stuff. Uh, so Kevin Smith has a podcast he does with another gentleman cool. named Mark Bernardin. And Mark Bernardin is a part of this union. And he was mentioning essentially a little bit more of the details about what you were just talking about, Erica. It's like specifically, it was around like residuals. But like, I think the reference that he was using before was that in the past, writers would have the ability to work on maybe two shows during the year. And then because of the the contracts that they had with the television studios that, you know, like if you had a show airing on like USA or TNT or TBS, something to that effect, every single time that that episode would get aired, you would get a check for it being on the air. But with things going to Netflix and to Hulu and Disney Plus, none of that is there anymore. All of that is gone. All those residual checks are gone. And so Mark particularly talks about how he has to do multiple shows like a year and he still is making less money than he used to make. And, you know, and I was actually speaking with somebody else a couple of years ago who came on to talk about the potential IATSE strike, which was in 2021. They were referencing this then, how they just making so much less money than they used to. The short answer to me, you know, from my perspective is that this is just another extension of what we're seeing everywhere in our economy which is that people on the top are trying to squeeze people at the bottom in the workforce. And I just don't know what their end game is here because at the end of the day, you kind of need consumers to have a consumer based economy. But if you're trying to have AI, for instance, to replace all of your writers, it's just how many more people are out of the workforce then, you know I mean? At a certain point who has money to spend? Yeah. I, I, I just, I don't understand it, but you know, obviously We'll talk about that a little bit more in the in the future, the anti-capitalist angle, like angle of this. But mm -hmm. it just it absolutely boggles my mind. We don't really understand or appreciate how much writers impact our lives when it comes to how many people do you know just spend an absorbent amount of time watching things like Netflix, you know, watching TV in yeah, general, anything. <laughs> like none of this operates without these people. And yet they're being devalued at the level that they are. These negotiations should never have gotten to this point. They should have. They should have been able to get this done without these writers going on a strike. Mm -hmm. 
that there are a couple like misconceptions, I think, in the general population of like what the Writers Guild is. And they think, oh, it's Hollywood. These are like rich people or celebrities (laughs) and stuff. And it's like, no, like I, this week has been a great week for me. Some weeks it's hard to make content. Some weeks you have someone doing a self-defense thing and me being a film major, we have a Writers Guild strike. So it's like topical for me. Like I know this stuff. And like, I know several Writers Guild members. Uh, I have professors who are Writers Guild members. I, you know, I, I, several of my former classmates are now part of the Writers Guild. Like, these are normal people. Uh, the average screenplay writer makes $2,000 more than the average American worker. Like, like this is not, we're not talking, even the Screen Actors Guild has plenty of like normal people in it, but like we're still even not even talking about that. Like the Writers Guild yeah. is the least powerful of the guilds in Hollywood. And it, it, it's something that I think a lot of people don't understand. If they understood that, they'd be a little bit more on the writer's side. And, and the other thing, you know, since you brought up kind of the more anti-capitalist meta contextual narrative of this, it's, it's very interesting. Something I learned this week is that the other guilds, the Directors Guild, the Screen Actors Guild, and as well as the current Writers Guild, have parts of their contract that say they cannot go on strike at the same time as the Writers Guild. The, mm-hmm. the, the, the studios, because they're able to collectively bargain together, they're, yeah. like, they've been able to say, okay, you guys can't all go on strike at the same time because that would absolutely, we can, we can deal with one. You know, maybe, not SAG because you need someone to shoot. But like, but like you, they can deal with the Writers Guild because they're the most easily replaceable. They're the weakest and get paid the worst. Um, but like by separating them, it massively diff- like differentiates the power. And individually, they accept that agreement because they want to get what they want for their own people. But like it hurts the collective bargaining power. And that those contracts are up in June. And if the yeah. studios don't get this together by June, I think it's June 10th, <laughs> then they are running the risk of the guilds coming together and striking, which right now they can survive without the writers for, I mean, they did it in 2007. Yeah. Um, we all suffered for it um, by having to watch the celebrity apprentice and eventually have Donald Trump as president. It's a crazy, <laughs> it's a crazy snowball effect. But like, hopefully this doesn't create the next Donald Trump, right? But like, oh God. If, like, like, as much as this like sucks, with the ongoing labor movement in this country with more unions, you know, being certified than like any time in my life that I remember, this has the potential to be a, you know, a a game changing moment, a a tipping point in in the labor movement, because if they really are that greedy and they let it get to that level where they're now negotiating all three contracts in the most public unions in the world, like the most visible unions in the entire world, I think there is reason to be hopeful is what I'm saying. Like this is a new story that as much as it sucks, it makes me smile a little bit. (laughs) You know what I mean? I love that. Yeah. I mean, I think the, you know, that end of that contract and the fact that more of these guilds could be involved soon, that's very hopeful. Um, You know, we're probably not going to feel the like direct impacts of this strike for a while. Like we probably won't feel it until like the winter when um, streaming services will be more affected because I guess they have like a backlog of written material that they've been, you know, building up in anticipation of this potential strike. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, that come winter or come middle of the year, this could look really different. This could get he- really huge. And I'm glad that you're, talking about this as, as potentially a big um, kind of turning point in the labor movement, because I think it really could be. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just, go ahead. Go ahead, Desmond. 
You know, and the one thing I want to focus on really quickly, you know, as we're kind of coming to a close on this subject, a lot of times when we're talking about unions and strikes, you know, over the years, people in the media, politicians have gone way out of their way to just kind of like demonize unions, demonize people on strikes, always talk about how the workers are being unreasonable or how they're being greedy, so on and so forth. And I think when you get hammered with those narratives again and again and again, you know, sometimes it's hard to actually see through to the truth, which is the people who are in these unions have the least amount of power and they're just fighting to stay alive, basically. You know, when you're talking about people living in California, you're talking about people who are essentially paid not too different than people in the rest of the country, but have way higher costs of living. So you're living in even more poverty than other people in the country. You know, and you're also working in an industry, which if we're being fair, is one of the most vital industries in our entire country. I mean, everyone feels like they need their entertainment to some degree, whatever that entertainment is. It's like a way that we all check out from the dystopian fact of the rest of our <laughs> lives, right? We need our entertainment. And so I, I would hope that people would see this story as like, and, and come to a sense of solidarity with these people. Like maybe your favorite show gets pushed back a couple months or maybe, you know, what you were hoping to watch gets unfortunately canceled or, or, or the season shortened, whatever the case may be. Don't blame the workers. These people are yeah, literally just tough. trying to fight to get higher wages. These companies, we hear this across the board, right? Every company you've heard of recently is making record profits. If they're all making so much damn money, they should give some of that money back to the people who are making that possible for them. And that's what I would hope that people would focus on as the effects of this strike might linger for a little while. There, there are things on the left that we talk about that are contentious, that deserve debate and criticism. But like with something like this, I genuinely feel that if everyone put their political priors aside and just looked at this like they're a kindergartner teacher settling a dispute between two classmates, they'd go, oh, Okay, so I see that you have increased your profits by 600% over the past 10 years, and these guys are getting paid less than they did. I think you're the problem. Yeah. <laughs> if you just really just put it down to the numbers, I think most people would look at it and be like, okay, yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Um, but I, the, the thing that you mentioned there is like the demonization of unions, and I think that especially with conservatives, Hollywood gets demonized a lot. And I just want to get on, up on my stump and say, that is such an unpatriotic American thing to say. Hollywood is our number one export. Our number <laughs> one most famous worldwide export in America is movies. It is yeah. the highest form of art that we have in modern society. Our directors are the Michelangelos of our time. And <laughs> our writers are right there. Like they are our novelists of our time. They're yeah. Arthur Conan Doyle yeah. of our time, right? Like it, 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 when we are all dead, one of the things that will be remembered from this period of American history is our artistic, our cinema, our, our, our television, our <laughs> art. And that will outlive all of us. And the fact that like conservative patriotic Americans are like, oh, we, th these Hollywood elites. And blah, blah, blah. it's like, these are our heroes. These are like, like, can you imagine like Machiavelli going, yes, yeah, screw the artists. <laughs> like, like, no, no, that's ridiculous. Um, it's, it's, it's a, it has value in society. It might not be providing food to people, but it has existed in every culture throughout history. And this is our form of it. Um, and I just want to get off my stump and, you know, go to bat for what should be obvious, but isn't. Most of this country. <laughs>
really, really well put. I love that. Um, I'm also, I just wanted to bring up like, I wonder if this is going to influence the content of shows and films moving forward, if they will become further left and and more class conscious. I really think that this could, you know, because so many of our ideas as a society come from Hollywood, um, you know, hopefully they'll start seeding some of these um you know, worker rights ideas into the collective consciousness a little bit more than we have right now. No, <laughs> that could I, be a really good outcome. <laughs> I think it will. Like, look at all of the, you know, 9-11 media that was made after 9-11. Like, it was unavoidable. Every single movie at the time had something to do with it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But like last time this happened, we got more reality television. That was the result. We got yeah. a ton of, re- like, if anyone is young and doesn't remember, like, that's all we had on on TV. You know, Conan was spinning his ring on his desk during late night because he had nothing else to do. Jeez. And we can't do like the streaming world doesn't allow for that anymore. And AI, while it is threatening in the future, cannot write scripts right. It cannot. Now. No. And so I'm very interested to because last time they broke the union with the the, the reality TV, they were like, we're going to take mm-hmm. a hit, but you're going to take a bigger hit. God, yeah. Reality TV isn't viable in the streaming world now. So like I'm, it's very interesting to see what's going to happen over the next couple of months. 